0: Hey, welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge. I'm Dan, and this is your hyper-local progressive podcast focusing on beautiful Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Today, we are hopefully bookending this pandemic <laughs> crisis. I'm joined in our virtual studio with Ed Yu. Ed, nice to see you again, man. Yeah, I can see you, then. It's been almost a year since our last episode where we talked about an emergency room coming into Bay Ridge.
1: I think it's been a little over a year, actually. And mm-hmm. um, shortly after you and I recorded the episode, we went into lockdown. A few months into the pandemic, I remember going back and listening to our conversation about the potential of going into lockdown and the virus. And I wish I could tell 2020 me back then how optimistic I was being!
0: <laughs> <laughs> like we were, we were kind you of know? like being a little leery about calling it a pandemic versus an yeah. outbreak. Like, oh, we got to be careful with these words; we don't want to start a panic. And like, yeah,
1: it really does feel like a decade has passed since we spoke, and I have thought quite a bit about parts of that conversation because one of the things that immediately happened when the governor declared the New York on pause, or whatever the hell he called it he immediately declared that we had to scale up our hospital capacity by several thousand beds. And I remember thinking in that moment, I was like, Oh, I was just talking to Dan about how when victory memorial closed, we lost a couple hundred in the neighborhood. And a lot of those things we had talked about were dialed up to 11. We were talking about just a couple hundred beds and the governor declared that they had to scale it up by at least a few thousand. Yeah. When he was at his peak popularity, Mm -hmm. Those of us who track this stuff, especially for the underserved communities in our city, I just remember thinking the governor is complicit in the problem. He is responsible for the subtraction of hundreds of hospital beds during his term. He was desperate to inject private ownership into a hospital system that remains nonprofit by law. You're not allowed to have private equity or private ownership of acute healthcare facilities. They're all nonprofit corporations. But he was desperate to try to get some of
0: that capital into our system. We spoke about that in that episode. If anyone listening now is like, wait, what about that? Go back to that episode and you'll kind of see where we were coming from with it. But like, let's start off with contact tracing because that's failure number one that we found which is that contract tracing was just done so poorly and that it was willfully misinterpreted where it was used to like explain why I could keep my business open. I remember Nicole Malletakis back when she was assembly (laughs) member was like, hey, we should open all the restaurants because the spread is coming 3% or whatever it is from restaurants. Remember that shit? And it's like, Yeah. yeah. That's because you can't contact trace a restaurant because to contact trace a restaurant, the restaurant has to literally take the number and name of everyone who walks in, not just the person who pays, all the customers. Yep. If you ate out at all during outdoor dining in Bay Ridge, which was lovely, by the way, outdoor dining was nice. No one's taken my name. If I'm not the person paying, no one's taking those names. So of course the numbers for contact tracing are gonna be low and under report that spread happened indoors at restaurants. Duh. Uh, this was a nationwide problem, not
1: just the New York City problem and not just the Bay Ridge problem. But from the beginning, the de Blasio administration sourced contact tracing and the hiring of contact tracers to a nonprofit, profit ceding responsibility of coordinating it internally. And those of us who are watching this, again, were very skeptical because you have a gigantic municipal health system that can help coordinate the response to this if you had ever resourced it properly, like it would be the centerpiece of any sort of contact trace operation. You know, again, nationwide, one of the things that sort of laid there and across our state was the decimation of public health departments because usually when localities are looking to cut Budgets like having a dozen nurses on staff to go do public health work across the region. When you rely on your acute care facilities to do the same thing, they're just like, oh, this is like duplicative. Like we're just getting rid of it. Yeah. New York City like has the same mentality about its municipal health system. It's chronically underfunded. They really should have played a larger part in the response, especially around things like contact tracing. Now, to your point, I remember Nicole tweeting that out. I remember <laughs> many people tweeting out that number And quite frankly, the other thing that they should have fucking remembered is that restaurants were operating at a very limited capacity the entire time.
0: Yep, And we're closed for quite a bit of time, too. And we were looking at data from other countries and we were seeing that it was extended indoor exposure after a certain amount of time dramatically boosted your likelihood of getting it.
1: There was even a South Korean study, I think, where they actually measured how the virus moved around inside an enclosed space. And yeah, people thought the six foot rule was like some kind of magical barrier that protected them. But (laughs) if the room you're in is not properly ventilated, you're basically inside a box that has like more and more poison filling up around you. You can't diminish that risk by just standing a little further away from someone. when It's now we know anyway that yeah. the virus is airborne and aerosolized. All the theater around cleaning, for example, going back to the colored zones, drove a lot of us crazy that we're trying to <laughs> actually measure this because those zones, yes, were developed by some very thoughtful policy ones, but they were also developed for a purpose, which was to keep the economy open. The biggest common thread that runs across the political spectrum, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you want it to keep the economy up and running. Mm -hmm. We, as a nation, are really enamored with short-term economic progress and fail to think about the long-term ramifications of that kind of thinking. It really bothered me for a long time in the beginning of the pandemic that instead of having a disciplined lockdown, where we actually made a concerted effort to send bailout and COVID stimulus directly to working people. And you didn't have to have people worry about putting food on the table and losing their jobs, right? Yeah. Instead, we had to attach a lot of weird morality to relief. I remember seeing a piece on the BBC about the gentleman that owns home, the boutique and restaurant over on 3rd. It's really worth a watch. He lost both of his parents. He inherited a lot of their debt and he has to operate his business. He talks about the visceral impact that it had on his bottom line. The entire time, all I could think was, that guy probably got what sounds like a lot of money, probably like $10,000, $20,000 of COVID relief. But when you do the math about the amount of PPP loans that people actually got in the neighborhood, if you do a rough division by employee, they're only getting like just under 10 grand per employee. And they had to operate three quarters of the year without any additional stimulus, right? If we had a more disciplined lockdown, if we had directed more stimulus money at the right places, I believe we could have reopened our economy coupled with the
0: increased vaccination rate much earlier than we're going to and much more safely. That goes back to when we first said trust public health experts, we were assuming that Democrats and Republicans, (laughs) this would be a nonpartisan thing to keep people alive. It turned into this war between public health and the economy as a primary need as if they're mutually exclusive when in fact the economy is subservient to public health because people need to be alive to enjoy the economy (laughs) if you're sick and you're
1: dead you can't buy stuff yeah 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 Yeah. Uh, so uh, you're
0: absolutely right there must have been focus groups and shit because that shit did play yeah Trump at the time was not taking it seriously and then the rest of the GOP had to come up with a angle oh, we just need to keep the economy open and keep it normal, but we can't operate as normal during a pandemic. Right across in Staten Island, we had Max Barr. And, and that was what was weird, is seeing GOP members not argue for more stimulus. Yeah. The total amount that Bay Ridge got for PPE loans, yeah. Was not much. No. If you
1: account for all the businesses within our zip code, I don't have it in front of me, but it was like $30 million. Some of that. It was might've been a little more. It sounds like a lot. It's really not. If we're serious about treating this like a public health crisis, in the beginning of this pandemic, we should have been focused on keeping ourselves safe, keeping our loved ones safe. The less people that were out and about, the stronger our overall recovery response could have been. If we had picked the right focus from the beginning, Help people stay at home. Help them meet their monthly or annual expenses in some cases. Yeah. Let small business owners be a part of that. And if you're paying their employees, they don't have to worry about paying their employees. Right? From my own personal experience with this, we have a young kid. We had to keep her home for a while. Child care is a huge issue. Tons of people left the workforce to facilitate this. Yeah. If I'm the GOP, I should not have thought to save my local economy, I need people to pretend like nothing is happening and just go into business and spend money, right? Yeah, which is the most ludicrous response.
0: We have to remember the timeline too. like Justin Brandon early on is like, let's all go out and eat at your local Chinese food restaurant, because they're hurting. But then again, we have to understand what we knew and when we knew it.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah.
0: Very soon after that, we were like, no, don't do that. Don't go to any restaurants. Early on, Andrew Ganardis was very much against the yellow zoning when there were some schools that technically hadn't opened yet, even though the yellow zone lockdown was lifted. And we also have to understand that where we are now, we don't know the full extent of COVID. We're talking about this like, ah, we know what COVID is, but we have no idea what this does to children. We have yes. no idea what long-term effects there really are going to be with this. People who are asymptomatic, were assuming right now that they were fine, but that can very much not be the case. Absolutely, We don't know. You said it exactly right. We've learned a lot more since the beginning of the pandemic, for sure.
1: But there's a lot we still don't know because we were trying to study it while a lot of places were locked down, right? So children are a great example. They were the first group we locked down, and rightfully so. So you can't study kids... Getting COVID if they're not out and about in the places that you think they might get sick, right? Mm-hmm. So when all these studies came out about low transmission in schools, I just remember our local Facebook groups like really took to that and uh, yeah. were
0: you know. And, you know, I I can't blame parents for wanting to
1: put their kids back in school, right? On top of the fact that we
0: didn't give anyone any stimulus, people weren't like going to their jobs, people were laid off, and some people were laid off because they had to go watch their kids.
1: Absolutely. And my partner is an educator. She works in the near-city school system. She will say over and over again, Zoom is not an appropriate replacement for the classroom. No. One thing that is not talked about enough is that teachers like her really innovated quite a bit in that space when they were forced to a lot of our kids are going to benefit from that kind of innovation long-term. But when they were studying the effect on children, they were not in the places that you think they would get sick. And a lot of the studies were conducted in that low period over the summer Mm -hmm. when our numbers were way down in a more manageable place. We're going to need to do a lot more study to really understand what transmission, infection, and outcomes look like in children. And luckily, at least on the vaccine front, the first studies have been released on adolescents, and it looks like the effectiveness of the vaccine is even higher in younger people than us. These are all encouraging signs, but there's, like you said, a lot we still don't know. And a part of that is 100% our fault. New York City did not implement any kind of mandatory testing regime. That's also true for most of the country. All testing is voluntary there isn't somebody going around just taking a swab of every single person in our zip code. And there should have been because that would have really told us who's getting sick, who's well, you know, what the actual positivity rate is. And one other point you brought up earlier, uh, which is community transmission, that was largely ignored by policymakers for quite some time. They were only going off positivity rates, which again- A function of testing. Months into the pandemic, at least from my perspective, the people start to talk about infection rates controlling for population. And that coupled with the positivity rate is a much more effective measurement of what's happening. So for example, if you're looking at Bay Ridge at its peak spiking, which was still a lot lower than some of the zip codes around us, you know, when we're getting close to 10%, you're looking at like 30, sometimes 40
0: new cases per 10,000 residents. Like that's pretty freaking high. Right. Yeah. Our, we uh, didn't get a very high positivity rate but that winter crisis mode where we really yeah. spiked hard testing didn't increase during no. that period. Like I almost was interpreting the testing results because it was all at will testing as like yeah. an indicator of how afraid people were essentially. Yeah. Um and that didn't spike even though we were all getting much much sicker. 100%
1: right. As people were trying to find mm-hmm. daylight I think that we're latching on to trends in one bucket of information over another. Mm -hmm. You can't blame anybody for this. We were talking about the end of the pandemic in the beginning of the pandemic, but there's a segment of our neighborhood that does not believe in the efficacy of masking and the efficacy of vaccines. That's going to be a huge problem. There's two reasons for this. One, New York City has its own homegrown mutation and variants of the COVID virus. It's the reason that our case counts and hospitalization rates are starting to go up. The second point is we know that the vaccines are effective against them, we think, but we don't know for sure. If Bay Ridge is going to come out on the other side of this, the people who don't believe in masking, who don't believe in vaccines, to neutralize them, there has to be a critical mass of people who do believe in it to achieve herd immunity so that the freeloaders can remain freeloaders instead of becoming vectors. So part of it is anti-vaccine. Those people, they don't believe in the science of vaccines, which is totally ridiculous. And then you have another group of people who are not getting the vaccine that have a reason that I feel nothing but sympathy for, which is the public health system works against them. Yeah. There's a deep mistrust in certain communities of color of our health system because they did things like sterilize them involuntarily, ran experiments on them. And there's a lot of documented evidence and study of different outcomes for people of color, because when they're in pain, they're not believed, and people don't believe that they're sick. Going back to the neighborhood, all these folks who wanna go eat in a restaurant again, all these people who wanna send their kids back to school, if we want to return to normal, then we better hope that at least 70% of our neighborhood will get the vaccine, because we'll have some modicum of herd immunity. Now, the other thing that we don't know is if the virus mutates again, will the current vaccine be effective? We need to make sure that as they keep developing new vaccines to combat the new strains that might start coming out, enough people put in the vaccine to get it. The other thing is
0: masks may not go away. If there is a new variant, the best way of halting its spread, because we're going to have to wait another certain amount of time before a vaccine would be available for a new variant, the way we get a yearly flu shot, the best way of restricting that spread, even if you already are vaccinated, is with masks. Early on, people were still hopeful that we could get rid of this just through masking, lockdowns. This is something that we'll probably have to keep on the back burner and be ready to turn these back on again when variants come up, because we have enough people not masking, not doing anything at all to control this. I think it transcends political affiliation. I think Mm -hmm. it transcends a lot of demographic information
1: that we make assumptions about. Like, If you looked at our heat map when it came to positivity rates that happened after Thanksgiving, the worst places were largely places that we would identify as having more conservative folks. But then you can't explain why huge parts of Brooklyn and Queens... Where essential workers live also we're right? Yeah. I think I just did, but what I'm saying is like these behaviors don't exactly track by certain measures that we would use to
0: explain other things in our society, right? So we need to be ready to do this again. And we might have to do it again forever. You mentioned earlier how poorly we seem to be able to understand long-term economics and we fetishize yeah. the short term. I can imagine a future where, in addition to checking out a restaurant's food rating you check out their infection ratings yeah. or you just make assumptions based on an entire neighborhood people yeah. are like oh we need to get staten island reopen fast so that all the people who want to eat they're going to come out here because freedom the long term of that is like if we're a neighborhood that's known for having opened early and has lax guidelines that's going to hurt your bottom line for years to come as we start moving into a post-covid world where this is more normalized we're going to decide where to eat based on community spread based on things like that i don't want us to suddenly turn into yeah this is the place where all the businesses don't require you to have a mask on that'll crash our economy for much longer we will enter a world where consumerism will be partially defined by public health and safety and as it should i would hope that At some point,
1: we're able to measure our businesses in terms of is their restaurant properly ventilated? Employee guidelines, how do they treat their employees? Do they test their employees? Do their employees have access to reliable PPE when necessary? If your building is not up to date, which might not be their fault, do they have the appropriate means to protect their employees and protect their customers?
0: What does the city do to get closer to this in the future? Do we make outdoor dining permanent? Do we say let's take away certain yeah. amounts of our roadways because having the two or three cars that could be there matters less than an expanded area for like 10 people to dine? Public space has to be truly public. Outdoor dining, the minute it happened, people were just like, how come
1: this doesn't happen all the time? <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah. like we went to one of the strolls pre pandemic, we were walking up Third Avenue, people were just like walking around kids were playing in the street. This is the way it should be all the time. If I'm a business owner and I'm thinking about ways to mitigate potential lockdowns and ways to mitigate potential safety issues, reclaiming space outside their business is definitely something they should be petitioning for. Now, some of the outdoor spaces Went a little overboard and they just basically built a box on the road. But overall, I saw some amazing spaces built outside businesses that, quite frankly, like should have been bigger by being able to do
0: this year round and really doing major expansions during the warmer months. We've had friends of the podcast ask us like, hey, do you know if anyone's doing open streets on Fifth Avenue? Or third avenue yeah. that would become summer strolls but multiple days a week and i think people yeah. would be really into that by the way if anyone wants to start working on that you know dm or tweet us at the podcast we'll start hooking <laughs> people up but also i do want to acknowledge that there are some inequities in the street front um dining too because some areas are in front of a bus stop right some areas have benches or what have you street furniture Some businesses are just deep, they're not wide, so they don't have that much wide sidewalk space or your Royal Diner on like Fifth had a doctor's office next to it so it could expand its outside dining to like be both of those storefronts because the other one wasn't really using it. So there are inequities, but there are also positive inequities in that some corner businesses that normally did not have much indoor seating at all actually had more seating than their indoor outdoor right yeah they expanded you could not fit that many people in cafe cafe i'll probably be releasing this at some point but i walked through and i documented the number of seats on every single outdoor dining establishment in bay ridge of course you did (laughs) i just wanted to wait once we get back into summer i'm gonna go do a check again and see how they've changed and how they've improved and
1: people are positively engaging for the first time on reclaiming street space. I think that that's just a huge benefit that I'm excited about. You know, businesses can flourish too if you target the ones that actually fit into the local economy. If you look at who maxed out on some of the PPP loans, maybe the Bay Ridge Volvo dealership shouldn't get millions of dollars. Like maybe we should figure out you know,
0: yeah. Mom and pops, like small businesses, got nowhere near what no. they needed because the no. process for those loans was very difficult. It yep. favored large businesses that really did not need or did not employ that many people, like versus a restaurant yeah. that could have so many different servers, wait staff, cooks, etc. Yep. And so many salaried people in tight spaces. And there needs to be a much bigger discussion on direct aid. Yeah. It seems like that was a dirty word among Republicans. I don't know why giving people money to be safe is not just a universal thing that everyone can get on board with. Giving people money to save their business too, yeah. It's going to cost more now because we didn't do that.
1: Absolutely. We're finally getting around to stimulus part two. The Biden administration got it done. I believe Nicole voted against it. Yeah. And that's a shame because that's the direct relief that her local economy needs. And quite frankly, should have gotten back in the third quarter of last year and the fourth quarter of last year. If we're serious about relief, this shouldn't be the last stimulus package. There are other places where you can affect real relief and not just putting money in people's pockets, but rent forgiveness. Forgiveness of debt incurred during yeah. the pandemic for individuals and for businesses, like this would be a huge benefit. That's a conversation that I wish all of our local politicians would have. Some of them are having that conversation the best they can, but really a lot of these things need to be implemented at the federal level. And Bay yeah. Ridge right now is not represented by somebody who I believe, this is just me personally speaking, I have been severely disappointed by how Nicole has performed her legislative duties if i were her and i really cared about the local economy of her district i would have done everything i could to
0: bring stimulus money to the district to like give nicole a break which i very rarely do we got our um city council candidate that's supposed to be running against justin brandon our democrat for city council we have republican brian fox i'm looking right now at his facebook page where he has his campaign platform in the about section it has things all of which are tied to covid but he never mentions the virus so it's like i support law enforcement listen number one crime hasn't been increasing we just had a couple of days ago the 68th precinct in bay ridge say yeah crime's at an all-time low except for like petite larceny i think has gone up a small yep. amount listen back to our reforming the NYPD episode you'll learn about the major crimes index when you run by major crimes or not we basically have overall the lowest amount of crime that we've ever had in Bay Ridge, But crime has increased in certain parts of New York City, but you never see with people who are attacking politicians for it, acknowledgement that we're also in the middle of a crisis where lots of people have been unemployed, lots of people have been laid off. This yep. affects crime. But of course, in Brian Fox's platform, no mention about COVID. Quality of life, tagging, and trash piling up on street corners. We're in the middle yep. of an economic recession because of a <laughs> pandemic. Of course, trash yeah. pickup had been cut. I think Brennan managed to get it brought back up twice a week on the avenues because people were complaining about the dirtiness. But when we talk about collective sacrifice, come on, guys, we can acknowledge that trash is the least of our problems when people are dying. It is tied back to the pandemic. Continued support of our seniors and the disabled. He mentions healthcare. He mentions community centers, making things accessible. He mentions that it's a NORC. uh But yeah, again no mention of COVID in that. And we have one of the most homebound populations, like trying to get people vaccinated in our neighborhood was a huge problem, again, not mentioned. Continued support of local businesses. And this is what we were talking about. This is an area that is very close to my heart, being that I am myself a small business owner. I plan to work with the Third Avenue Merchants Association and other organizations to create local events and giveaways and fundraisers to stimulate small businesses and create an e-commerce platform under my leadership. I will defend our local business. How are you going to do that without acknowledging we live in a post-COVID world? Yeah. How are you going to do that without mentioning the science? How are you going to do that without mentioning that the elephant in the room for the next few years is going to be how everything ties back to the fact that we politicized and bungled one of the biggest public health crises that this world has ever seen within living memory?
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. For several cycles now, the conservative (laughs) parties have all Been eschewing science. I think that there has been quite a bit of documented rhetoric at all levels on the right when it comes to believing in the scientific process. I think that the GOP, in order to protect, in order to protect who they perceive to be their core group of voters, even if they themselves might believe in rigorous scientific processes and outcomes, they won't say the right things. Brian Fox's platform that you just pointed out. Is a great example of that. He wants this quarter of people who are always going to vote Republican to come out and vote. And many of them are not motivated by hearing about how to keep people safe from COVID. Quite frankly, many of them might not even believe that there's a pandemic happening. I think Brian actually took a picture with the man that uh, ran against Mathilde Frontis, right? Yeah, um, yeah.
0: Um, he yeah. was at the Capitol protests. This is like a QAnon crazy dude. He's a Q guy. We're not getting like, you know classical GOP. We're getting Q.
1: Yeah. And it's nuts. If you are concerned about having unity in our political rhetoric when it comes to the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic and making sure that people stay healthy, you need both parties to be on message about this. We take pride in our natural propensity to protect freedom of choice and people's individual opinions, but you don't get to believe in the pandemic. You don't get to believe in vaccines. You don't get to believe in the measures that you're supposed to take to keep people safe. It doesn't matter if you're the most conservative person out there. You should believe that over 500,000 people have died. You should believe that hundreds of people have died in South Brooklyn. You can't choose to believe it. We need our political leaders to be leaders. I think that there are GOP
0: politicians out there who are capable of doing this.
1: I haven't seen many of them. But I believe that they're there.
0: There are Democrats, too, that are capable of it. Like we had Cuomo manipulating nursing home statistics. This is a bipartisan thing. Absolutely. (laughs) We don't bash Cuomo all the time on Radio Free Bay Ridge because Cuomo rarely deigns to come down to Bay Ridge to be a local thing I can report on. And by the way, go listen to me and Ed's other episode where we shit on Cuomo quite a bit. And we
1: haven't done it quite
0: enough on this episode because
1: you brought up the nursing home cover-up, which I think we could have devoted an entire conversation to. Yeah, But if you took the same level of scrutiny to what happened in our hospitals during COVID, he would have resigned. It was that bad. I remember in the peak of it, never being able to do any Zoom meetings at night because we were debriefing our executive committee leaders across our union who were on the front line, who were telling us about the war zones that were inside their hospitals. In peacetime, chronically understaffed facilities suddenly forced to deal with patient loads that were several orders of magnitude above what they're safely capable of handling without proper PPE in the beginning. The New York Times pointed out over the summer that there was a direct relationship between how well-resourced and staffed hospitals were to patient outcomes. Our state is really bad at COVID transparency in general. Yeah. It took of all people Bill Hammond from the Empire Center. <laughs> A paleoconservative policy wonk suing the department of health to get that nursing home data released that really put cuomo's popularity into a tailspin as soon as that data was released my team and i at the nurses union we put in a similar information request for hospitals like we said okay Mm. you released the nursing home data like why can't you release this for hospitals he wouldn't do it we've gotten two denials so far yikes a lot Of researchers in our state have pointed out at how awful our state is at transparency in general. But specifically on COVID, we don't know how bad it was in our hospitals. We know how bad it was based on what the people that work there tell us. But if you want to know how many positive cases there were in Maimonides Hospital between March of 2020 and present, we don't know that. We don't know how many people died there either. That, to me, is just as important as knowing how many people died in the nursing homes. And I think that Cuomo is thanking whatever sort of deity is looking out for him right now, (laughs) that people
0: haven't made a stink about what happened in our hospitals. I believe that if we really knew what happened, he would have had to resign. I've seen that on the personal side, too. My mom was one of the first people to get COVID. It was Valentine's Day. And then what we now know happens, there are neurological complications. Early on, we thought it was all pneumatic. We thought it was just yeah. the lungs. No, no, um, no. Now we know blood clotting and neurological issues. And then had a massive hemorrhagic stroke. When she was in the hospital, this was just as things were starting to get serious. So I was able to see going in, you could walk into the hospital. And then by the end of her going through recovery after a month or so, that's when we started getting, oh, now I need to sign in. Now they're starting to ask if I've had feverish conditions. They started locking down that last day. So then we moved her over into the nursing home system. And so I got to experience the nursing home system where she was locked down and I couldn't see her for seven months at a local Bay Ridge nursing home. And she's been describing just the horrors of not knowing what's going on of a floor at this nursing home dedicated to you know just people who were sick trying to set up isolation wards within the nursing homes yeah and i can't imagine what was happening at the hospital at the very same time yeah she's not going to be any of those stats the data doesn't really exist for the early days of the crisis no because we weren't tracking it we talk about the big spike in the winter because That's the only spike we have really reliable data for. We don't know how bad it was early on. No, we don't. I imagine hospital data would be a great way of trying to reveal what was happening there by looking at similar things that we obviously may have misdiagnosed. We're not going to see that.
1: Not unless, of course, organizations like mine and others prevail on getting more transparency out of the Cuomo administration. Well, first of all, I'm really glad your mom's doing better. I'm really glad you told your listeners what your mom's experience was in the nursing home because I think one of the things that I'm hopeful is going to happen coming out of this is that all of our acute care facilities, our long-term care facilities are going to see real reform because the nursing home industry in New York City and New York State is rife with corruption and ownership. Mm -hmm. They operate on the thinnest of margins because they're forced to. The reimbursement for nursing homes is not great
0: broken rating systems that are gamed based on number of falls and misreporting and all of that. Absolutely, And
1: just not staffed properly either. All these places point to their labor costs as the biggest expense, which of course it is, but there's entire bureaucracies built around just billing for things, right? So there's a lot of administrative overhead that people don't account for either. But anyway, just to say (laughs) that in this sort of construct that we find ourselves in for elder care My grandmother got COVID too in her nursing home. She was isolated for a week. And the only reason she had contact with the outside world is that my mother is a registered nurse. She was able to go visit her because she knew how to don and doff the PPE properly. You know, when my grandma came off the isolation board, she was able to go visit her and check on her. But most people did not have that luxury. And I think that your example where you couldn't see your mother for seven months, that's a very common story. And I think that on top of that, there are people who lost their loved ones that just have no idea what actually happened because it happened during a time where there was just no reporting or transparency on the issue. And I think that this was done under a democratic administration, right? Theoretically, they should be all about transparency and better reporting. And instead, what we got was obfuscation, total fabrication in some cases, I think at a local level. If we're going to deal with this appropriately moving forward, we just need to have better information. We can't just trust that a bunch of policy wonks employed by our government will have all the solutions. I think that there are a lot of organizations out there that work in parallel, providing relief to our community. Government shouldn't discount that. For example, I remember when you guys put up your first dashboard that you laid on top of the city data. I remember thinking to myself immediately, I'm so glad Dan did this because I literally was thinking to myself, oh, I should try to isolate Bay Ridge in this because I really want to see what's happening on a local level. And I just couldn't do it because I was so busy working on the zoomed out views from our organization. By the way, like I don't know if your listeners ever have a chance to go look at this stuff, but like, what you did in that beginning period was just really phenomenal. I don't think anybody had taken the pains to actually go in and clean up the data.
0: Yeah, it was really messy. There would be days where the total number of infections would go down, the cumulative yep. total, And it was confusing for Bay Ridge because apparently they were saying, oh, sometimes, you know, we were reporting the zip code of the hospital, not the zip code of the person. But then I'm like, there are no 11209 public hospitals. Are you counting the VA? But I think that's a different zip code too. If anything, the number should be going up dramatically, not dropping. And then other days, it would just be zeroed out for three days. And that would throw the percentage off entirely. So I had to do some Custom algorithms to ignore days where there were negative numbers of new uh, cases. That's what the city and state were providing us. I remember showing my team, (laughs) he's really exposing all
1: the flaws that we were sort of aware of, but they don't surface as much when you're taking a citywide view or even a borough-level view, like, doesn't really expose a lot of those things. I just remember showing my team, like, look, like, we have to caveat shit out of this. It's because... You had access to the data. We had access to the data. Like we were able to use it to make informed decisions. If we don't have the proper information to do that and there isn't accountability for our government to do that on a regular basis, we're always going to struggle with this, you know? And by the way, like the city got its act together. If you notice, like three weeks ago or two weeks ago, our city finally put in latitude, longitude information. (laughs) But I was just like, it took over a year for that to happen. I'm not going to scribe blame. There's barely poorly compensated people working to maintain these things. But at a certain point, you have to say like, look, if we're going to track this properly and like give our communities access to their information, you have to have transparency. All the stuff we're seeing at the city level where they're tracking things like demographics and things like that, the state's not doing it as well. Not only that, I know for a fact that the facility level data we talked about, the more zip code specific data, not just for New York City, but for the entire state. I know for a fact that the New York State Department of Health has that level of data. Because if you look at the state level visualizations, it has to be summing something. And you can't tell me how many hospitalizations you have (laughs) if you don't know which hospitals they are coming from. So they very clearly know this Mm. information. If you go to their dashboard, there's nowhere to download the data. It was a running joke on Twitter for a while for researchers at once. Like, we measure our intrinsic happiness by whether or not the download icon on the dashboard is grayed out or not. And all joking aside, someone like you embedded in the community, knowing the very sort of local issues that you deal with, accesses that data, processes it a different way for our neighborhood to see and understand in a way that relates to us.
0: There's not somebody at the state level or even the city level that's saying, I wonder what specifically yeah. they're,
1: they're not going to do
0: that. And it's important for all of our listeners, go and look at that data. I didn't get like a degree in data science. This is something that anyone can go around and toy with absolutely and the more people there are that know that language i think the better we all are and not just for public health but for all kinds of things the economy etc but in the end you also don't need to be an expert to know where to place blame on this (laughs) again we've been talking about data for a little bit this was a failure of leadership at the highest levels of federal government where everything should come from you can lay blame to many individuals down that chain but Everything else that the GOP and Democrats did were in relation to the mood that was set by our president at the time. The lack of robust federal response
1: from the beginning, bring the states together, create a unified policy where infrastructure is an issue. You have resources available at the federal level, like FEMA, the military, like whoever it is. They had those structures that they could have activated that they did not. Because quite frankly, we spent four years dismantling a lot including, by the way, an entire pandemic response infrastructure that the last Republican president, George W. Bush, was all about. George W. Bush is probably one of the worst presidents in history when it comes to my own personal view. But when it came to pandemic politics, he was very devoted, apparently, to making sure that we're ready for something
0: like this, Mm
1: -hmm. right? Which at first was shocking to me, but it shouldn't have been because that's just a rational thought process, right? With Trump. You can draw a direct line to what's happening in our Asian American communities across the country Yeah, to his insistence that we call it the Wuhan virus or the China virus. And that lack of leadership really was the genesis
0: of a lot of the struggles that we had locally. During the Trump administration, we had a big resurgence in the illegal home conversions locally being a mask for anti-Asian hatred. It's illegals, but we mean illegal conversions. Right like we don't want Asian people moving into diker Heights and that kind of shit. Right. there have been consistently over the last four and more years concern about Asian spas and shit. Now we just saw a shooting targeting that. I couldn't help but think that there are people here that would have that same level of psychotic disconnect about that yeah. kind of shit. A lot of that was already here,
1: I totally agree, and I think Trump is not the cause of anti-Asian racism. Like you said, that's something that's been sort of an evergreen issue in our community here. It's just that he made it okay for it to be visible and present in a much more obvious way. The language that he used around the China virus, the Wuhan virus, all the disgusting things our neighbors have been saying about dirty Chinese people when they talk about a stretch on 86 where all their businesses are. yeah. You know, when they talk about the kinds of food that Asian Americans eat, there's an amazingly racist and misinformed thread about eating bats was the cause of COVID and all that kind of bullshit. If there is documented evidence of somebody putting out that kind of rhetoric and believing it, that should preclude you from ever attaining higher office.
0: I know that there were some people that are running now or want to run that said shit. They've expunged their social media records as it became clear that that was an easily searchable term.
1: As my second favorite hyperlocal social media account, Bayridge Bigots, likes to say, which by the way, people haven't seen it, they should go check it out. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Screenshots are forever. You cannot hold office and believe these things. And expect to be a good leader. Trump is the prime example, and all of his progeny, both actual progeny and political progeny, are prime examples of people who should not be put into leadership positions anymore because they have proven to not believe in science and not believe in making sure that people are protected and all that nasty rhetoric around China. And by the way, I'm not Chinese. I'm Korean American. Really does roll down down the hill you know just on one last personal story on that front you know my my wife took our daughter out once Uh, my daughter's mixed race a gentleman took it upon himself to comment what a nice chinese baby my wife had and i just remember like that's the kind of stuff that that rhetoric is elevating right yeah and it starts there and then it ends with people complaining about dirty Chinese in our neighborhoods. And I think that if we're going to come out of this normal, by the way, we didn't talk about this enough, normal should not be the goal. Yeah. We need to be better than normal, because if we're just normal, we're going to go through another fucking pandemic, right? Yeah. So there has to be a new normal. Our elected leaders need to be held accountable. And I don't know if Joe Biden is the answer to that. But he certainly has created mechanisms and infrastructure that leads me to believe that he will do a better job than Trump. And on a local level, if all of a sudden Nicole turns a corner, I'd be happy to like, acknowledge that she turns around and says, stop shitting on Chinese people, stop shitting on Asian Americans, and I'm going to advocate for more relief to our community.
0: Maybe this is where we wrap up, which is politicians should have been the first ones vaccinated because we need to do the work of our government. Nicole wasn't one of them. Yeah. Congress had its own supply of vaccine early on. Nicole did not vaccinate. This was not very well reported on. She kind of let it slip in a local news article when she was trying to hype up the uh, pop-up vaccine center on Staten Island that she referenced that she was going to get her shot there. And I was like, holy shit, you don't have it yet. This was after the whip and the minority House uh, leader were trying to argue that Congress should reopen in person because things were slowing down and that votes were happening too slowly. Nicole infamously was talking about how the COVID relief thing was passed in the middle of the night and it was because, you know, everything was remote. You couldn't do anything in person. And a lot of them were at CPAC at the time doing remote. And that's why it was done late. But Nicole was part of the reason that it was done late because she didn't vaccinate. You had your own supply, but you're going to use the public supply at a PR event. You're going to use a vaccine dose that was shipped to your neighborhood when you don't need it. You could have gotten it elsewhere. You're taking someone else's vaccine for a photo op. And I don't think she took a photo or a video of her getting a vaccine. She didn't like put out like, hey, it's safe. The people who need to see that shit are exactly the people that Follow Nicole. If you haven't gotten the vaccine yet,
1: they are effective. There was a lot of amazing science behind it that Dan could probably devote another entire episode to, but basically because medical researchers were looking into other coronaviruses, they manufactured the first prototype within the first few weeks of January of last year. It's an amazing thing that folks should read into. It works and people should get it. The more people that get it, the safer we'll all be. Our neighbors need to be safe. Our neighborhood needs to be safe.
0: I got it. I'm sure you've gotten it. Yeah. Go get it. Unless there's like a major health risk where your doctor has said, this is a risk for you, get it.
1: By the way, I got my second dose and I was totally ready to spend a day like with a fever and stuff. And uh, it was fine. People should be ready to feel crappy after the second dose. But, uh,
0: you know, some people are okay. And do it because you care about your neighbors. Do it because you care about people like my mom she got it from someone do it because you care about your loved ones do it because you care about your local businesses if you don't care about human beings if you care about your local (laughs) businesses apparently more if you care about salty dog or whatever like do it for salty dog i don't care do it for (laughs) any reason just do it (laughs) (laughs) that should be random if anything else please give me a message for salty dog (laughs) All right. Ed, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's always great to have you. I think we have great conversations when you get two data wonks in the room talking about really serious and important issues.
1: No problem. I hope people take away from this conversation, which is the information that we alluded to in this episode is highly accessible. You don't need an advanced degree to understand it. And I think it really empowers you in your daily life. So I have no formal training on any of this stuff. And it's accessible to me, so I
0: think it'd be accessible to everyone else too. So that's our episode, everyone. As always, follow us on Radio Free BR on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. Go to our website at RadioFreeBayRidge.org, where they'll have show notes and more data. You can check out those COVID stats that we had mentioned earlier and a lot more. So until next time, everyone, stay free, Bay Ridge.